Welcome back to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility, focusing on dancers and other aesthetic athletes. This is co-host Jennifer Milner, here with the founder of Bendy Bodies, Dr. Linda Bluestein. Our goal is to bring you state-of-the-art medical information to help you live your best life. Please remember to always consult with your own healthcare team before making any changes to your routine. Our guest today is Dr. Ann Maitland, MD, PhD, Chair of the Allergy and Immunology Working Group for the International Consortium on EDS and HSD. Dr. Maitland, hello, and thank you so much for being here today. I am so delighted to join you, ladies. This is an exciting opportunity. Especially for a person who always likes to sit in the back of the classroom. This is, uh, this is a new <laughs> media. And, and my daughter thinks I'm rather cool that I'm actually moving outside of my, uh, my comfort zone. So, <laughs> Well, we are happy to have you here and happy to have you at the, the front of the class today to share your wisdom with us. So um, before we dig in, can you share a little bit about your background? Just give us a, a brief bio. So... Um, I guess if you want to start at the beginning, I've always wanted to be a physician. Um, my father was a physician. Uh, he was part of the 2% that serviced the 15%, meaning he's, a, he's an African-American physician who actually trained at Meharry Medical College um, and went on to be a surgeon. He actually was on the surgical team that saved Martin Luther King when he was stabbed uh, in Harlem. Um, and he always, he saw no limitations for a little brown girl from the Bronx to go into science and medicine. So always encouraged me along the way. And I thought it was going to be a fairly straight shot, you know, go to a good high school, go to a good college. And then in the middle of college, when I'm starting to think about formally applying, he's like, I don't want you to go into medicine. And that was like, full stop. <laughs> And the reason why is because he started to appreciate that that medicine was no longer becoming a profession, but a business. And he felt that it would be more important for me to go into graduate school. So I actually worked for three years to understand what it meant to go into graduate school. And then I eventually landed at University of Pennsylvania in their MD, PhD combined degree program. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, and <clears throat> I've been actually studying the immune system before HIV got a name. Uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, and then here we are in the midst of another immune mediated pandemic. <clears throat> and in many ways, I'm part of the minority because there is a national shortage of allergy immunology specialists in the country. Um, and so I've had the pleasure of, of, of you know, meeting individuals who um, really don't have as much of a grasp of the immune system. It really is almost like a, a, a another language. Um, and trying to appreciate how the immune system becomes tolerant or loses tolerance has uh, been at the forefront of trying to understand what happens in individuals that have a connective tissue disorder. Uh, so this is a very relevant conversation on many levels. And I look forward to kind of sharing some of the experiences I've learned along the way. Currently, I'm actually in a very exciting position. Um, Mount Sinai South Nassau Community Hospital just formed the first inpatient and outpatient 
center that addresses Chiari connective tissue disorders and mast cell dysfunction. And uh, I've had the pleasure of working with uh, doctors Eileen Ruhoy, as well as Dr. Uh, Paolo Bolognese. Uh, and we're trying to build it from the ground up and hopefully it'll be a safe haven for patients who feel that they can't find a medical home. That, that is really interesting. We have, we've spoken with Dr. Eileen Ruhoy before and love her and the work that she is doing. There are so many, um, so many avenues we could go down with you and talk about and so many things that you mentioned that I'm, that I want to go, what about, what about, but today we want to talk about mast cells, um, and, and sort of all things mast cells here. So starting with, um, the, the very basic, what are mast cells and why are they important? Why are we having this conversation? So I find mast cells, and here's the thing, I'm a T cell biologist by training, and I had to unlearn what I learned to understand a cell population that we can't be born without. So you can actually be born without T cells. You can be born without neutrophils. You cannot be born without mast cells. And interestingly enough, that amounted to a one or two lectures in first year of medical school many, many moons ago. So it's an interesting population because you really don't see them in the blood. So standard blood test won't pick it up. Um, they start in the bone marrow, kind of like a man or woman who joins the police academy. And then after they get their initial education that you're going to be a mast cell, um, they get their marching orders, okay? And they basically go to every single part of the body and act as the first line of defense for that community of cells that face the environment. So you can imagine like a man or woman who's assigned, um, you know, to work in Times Square versus, you know, a small town in, in, in New York State, they have to learn how to meet the needs of that community. So it is the community that educates the mass cell on what its job to do in order to better serve and protect that community. And so, and, and unfortunately, we know little about the mast cells relatively uh, compared to other um, cells of the immune system um, and even the body itself. But, but in many ways, the mast cell has a lot of key jobs. They have receptors to recognize tissue injury and damage, which happens in higher frequency in individuals that have hypermobility issues. Um, and they have the ability to coordinate uh, the immune response to the damage. So not all you know, damage is the same, uh, kind of like a man or woman sees a fire versus somebody down, you wanna call the fire department, <laughs> not the SWAT team, um, or you wanna call an ambulance if somebody's down as opposed to you know, the, you know, the, 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 the cavalry on the, on, the, on the horse and chargers. So, um, so the mast cell makes the decision, is it a mechanical injury? Is it an infectious insult? Uh, is it a toxic exposure? And they're hardwired for recognizing certain dangers. And then depending on what they recognize, they will release chemicals, right? And so mast cell orders are recognizing tissue injury and responding to it. And once the harm is contained, they help coordinate the repair. So, so if these chemicals get released inappropriately, like if your body thinks peanut is a parasite, you have these chemicals that go out that have the ability to kill, detoxify, recruit in other help, 
it's like a false alarm that goes off all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting in that individuals that were bendy and understand it's, it's a prevalent issue. As much as a lot of my colleagues don't want to acknowledge it, people who are hypermobile, it's prevalent in the society, which suggests to me that mother nature has an endowed you with skills that really served your ancestors well, well before the world changed. So understand a lot of people did not become symptomatic in the 50s and the 60s. It was more of a pronounced issue, you know, I would say starting in the 80s and 90s, kind mm-hmm. of like when, and, and, and we're all about contemporaries. Um, you know, I kind of grew up in the Bronx and Harlem, and I have to tell you, peanut butter and jelly on Wonder Bread <laughs> with a glass of milk was everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But also milk was still delivered to the, our back doors in glass bottles. Food sources came locally and were either wrapped in paper, tin, or glass. We weren't turning on air conditioning. You know, if it was cold, you put on a sweater. If it was hot, you opened up the window and turned on the fan. There wasn't a car everywhere. And we spent a lot more time outdoors, you know, and, and within 20 years, 20 years, it's kind of like, you know, from, you know, Avengers Endgame, a fast snap, our environment completely changed. And so our bodies that were designed to fight certain dangers in less than 50 years has completely changed and is confused on what is truly danger and what is not. So in my mind, Mass cell orders are to help protect and respond to injury, but the, the nature of the dangers have changed and these systems that are hardwired haven't been able to um, change course and restore, the, restore that type of balance that's needed to say, this is when those chemicals should be out and this is when these chemicals should not be out. So we go from mass cell orders to mass cell disorders. And, and so under that umbrella of mast cell activation disorders, you have some individuals that have, in my opinion, more than two, organ, two or more organ systems that are involved. So the definition of mast cell activation syndrome in my mind is you have misbehaving mast cells and at least two body systems, right? So somebody who has hives and brain fog or somebody who has interstitial cystitis and hypersensitivity to foods, um, or anybody who has um, art, you know, uh, joint involvement and has trouble breathing in. So, so all of those kind of represent somebody who's an increased susceptibility to having those chemical mediators out there inappropriately. Um, and so if we can at least give people that working definition, you know, MCAD, MCAS, MCAD-ish, <laughs> um, you then will give people the power to, to understand what is going on in their bodies. And then with that understanding, you'll be able to chart out both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic interventions to help them feel better. Okay, I'm gonna need a couple days because that was so rich. <laughs> I want to just sit with that for a second. Um, that, that, that description for me was extremely helpful. I feel like I know more about mast cells than the average person, um, just from, from all of this work that we do. But to look at it as, um, as a, 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 a something that is being, has been hardwired a certain way and can no longer work. So it's like if, um, 
if our system goes and sees, um, like when our, when our, what do you call it? Fire alarm goes haywire because it smells the smoke from the burned toast and it goes, oh my gosh. And then it turns on the sprinklers and you're like, no, 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 we don't need the sprinklers. That was an inappropriate response to what's going on here. Right. So that's really helpful to look at it that way. And to also recognize that there's more than one way that mast cell disorders um, or disorganization or however people want to talk about it um, can be, can come through. So it's not just hives. Um, I don't think not everybody thinks about joint pain as being mast cell related. Um, The brain fog, all of these things that can sort of walk hand in hand with um, dysautonomia and um, sort of that general, well, I can't really point to one thing that I'm like, this is so bad. It keeps me in bed, but I do get kind of hivesy and my eyes are itchy and my joints ache. And sometimes I have a little trouble breathing And sometimes those little things are such underlying issues for so long that we just learn to live with it and don't realize, hey, this is the thing. Maybe we could find someone to talk to about it. Well, you know, here's the thing. I thank God that we have, you know, more resources and redundancy in our system. You don't, you don't, you know, if you think, what does a police officer have in order to respond to danger? Like, you know, I, in many ways, I guess this is kind of a relevant conversation in our society as well regarding tolerance and intolerance. But you don't want a police officer pulling their gun out to get the cat out of the tree, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so, so, and, you know, you prefer if they're going to, if they're going to be upset about somebody who's jaywalking, that they just take out their ticket book, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so there is, so the, so it really is a question in my mind of mast cells have very potent chemicals. They have the ability to detoxify venom from poisonous snakes, frogs, any other creature you think of from Jumanji. They have the ability to alter blood flow because they release heparin and platelet activating factor. I actually had one gentleman who had anaphylaxis to ibuprofen, which was complicated with a very horrific uh, bleeding issue. He started to clot and bleed at the same time called disseminated intravascular coagulation simply from taking ibuprofen. And he actually had a history of reactions to, to Aleve and his doctor didn't know that the relationship to Aleve and ibuprofen were the same. So in many ways, people who have mast cell activation disorders, meaning those chemicals are being kicked out. And that's all we're saying is that you are susceptible to having those chemicals out there when they shouldn't be, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of saying allergies, meaning let me identify what the trigger is, why don't we identify whether or not your mast cells are misbehaving or not, right? So it's a simple question and understand mast cells are in every single part of your body. So what does mast cells misbehaving looking, look like in the gut? Bloating, diarrhea, constipation, can't absorb. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of the term leaky gut, but there it is. What does it look like if those chemicals are inappropriately released in your brain? Mood lability, can't, difficulty with concentration, difficulty with speaking, difficulty with organizing one's thoughts. What does that look like if it happens in the joints? Pain, swelling, uh, discoordination. What if? What happens if it happens um, in the skin? Flushing, itch, uh, frank hives, or swelling. 
And, and here's the thing, the thing that is gonna force all of us very resilient individuals, and that's what I find in, in individuals that have connective tissue disorders. Their level of resilience is amazing. Like, oh, my leg is broken. I'm just going to go back out and finish this performance and then I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it then. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you know, thank God. Thank God. You know, uh, the, you know, I, I would find that individuals who this sensitivity that, that a lot of folks that have connective tissue disorders has been present, but it was only like, you know, an, a, if I was to use a Richter scale like earthquakes, it would maybe a 1.2. They're like, oh, I can deal with it. By the time they make their way to an allergy immunology specialist, right, or hematologist oncologist, because that's where mast cell disorders were, were, were you know, classically found in, you're pretty sick. You know, like a lot of a lot of primary care don't even know how to refer to an allergy immunology specialist. There's plenty of data that shows that. Um, there's only 80 training programs of allergy immunology in the country, which means there are plenty of people who go through nursing school, medical school, who've never had direct contact with an allergy immunology specialist. Mm. So never saw one, never did one, never knew how to refer to one. <laughs> and so, so they end up using whatever they were taught. Let me just give you a medication. Let me just give you a medication. Let me just give you a medication. And then people get tired of I, I don't want to keep on medication. So now they'll go to functional medicine or integrative medicine. <clears throat> and here's the thing. I don't consider myself a dysfunctional medicine, you know, medical practitioner or unintegrative <laughs> medical practitioner, but, you know, but, but, but again, the lack of knowledge of, of what, in, what the immune system is about is as prevalent in, in allopathic medicine as it is in other, you know, specialties as well. Um, and I would have to say Eastern medicine has a better grasp of it. They just have a different vocabulary, mm. right? So, so to pivot back to, to, I think the first question people should ask if they're having different symptoms, right? Is do I have signs or symptoms of mast cells misbehaving, whether it's in my brain or my gut or my skin or my joints or my bladder? That's the first question. Second question, do you get better? Not cured, but do you get better if you take a histamine blocker or you take quercetin? Although I have to say the American Academy of Asthma and Immunology doesn't recognize quercetin as something that can, or luteolin that can stabilize mast cells. But classically, do you get better if you take you know, over-the-counter histamine blockers, right? That's the second question. Third question, which I find to be the hardest, is do you, are you able to demonstrate that those chemical mediators are out there inappropriately? And that's the hardest thing to do because most emergency departments don't wanna order it or don't know how to order it. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's a, I think you need to be patient, just like, you, you know, Linda, for instance, if somebody's having a heart attack, how do we evaluate it? You, you do rule out, right? You know, okay, we're going to keep you in the hospital for 24 hours. We're going to check your EKG three times. We're going to check your cardiac enzymes three times. We might even get an echo or put you through a stress test. Well, that's the same thing about a mast cell attack. Let's, let's, 
look at you over a period of time to see whether or not those chemicals are out there inappropriately or not. Because again, you don't want them out there unless you really need them. Mm-hmm. Like if you got stung by a bee or better yet, if you got, if you got bit by a poisonous snake, you want those mast cells out there. You want those mast cells on the wall. <laughs> because <laughs> you need them on de- the wall. Yeah, you need them on the wall because they <laughs> detoxify the venom. That's why those honey badgers can fight off you know, poisonous African snakes, right? But you don't want them out there because you decided to have, you know, uh, a, a loaf of bread that you bought at the farmer's market and you didn't know it had almond flour in it, right? And so so, so I think the, the biggest hiccup we have is most practitioners don't understand what it means to have a hypersensitivity disorder. Mm. I find that the specialists um, the delay in diagnosis is a lot of specialists like, well, you have a normal tryptase. I'm like, well, you know, I'm actually pretty good right now. It's when I had to, when I went into the pharmacy and they were burning candles. I was like, poo again. And so, so, and, and, and I think right now we're just trying to get a common lingo to say, can we say the mast cells are misbehaving or not? So that's, that's, that's how I see it. Are your mast cells misbehaving? And then the question after that should be, why your mast cells misbehaving? And I think this is where, um, you know, both children and adults that have a connective tissue disorder, because they look fine, <laughs> people don't think, you know, and especially, and here's, here's kind of like, um, as much as doctors and nurse practitioners and nurses and physician assistants and physical therapists, we all profile, you know, that, and, and because, and the tools that we use to profile are not, are pretty dull. And, and, and by, by profiling and, you know, you, you're, you're like none of the above. Well, you come in with abdominal pain, right? And the blood work is pristine. Well, mast cells, last time I said, you can't really see them in the blood, right? And nobody thinks to check a histamine or a tryptase level, right? the organ systems look normal under radiology, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so in a hundred years, we went from giving the patient the benefit of the doubt in the story to relying on tests that inadequately assess whether or not mast cells are misbehaving or not. And so people have a medical odyssey for years until they run into somebody who says, you know, you look a little bendy. <laughs> and I know people who are bendy, this can happen. But, but, but because we profile, for instance, as an African-American woman, if I, have, if I have chest pain and all the testing is normal, what do they normally, what do they normally say? And it might not even be African-American, it's just women they say you have an anxiety disorder, right? And unfortunately, in the old days when you had an anxiety disorder, they would give you a tricyclic agent, which actually is a really good mast cell stabilizer, <laughs> right? SS- SSRIs don't do that. So the Prozacs, the Zolofts don't stabilize mast cells. And then also the antihistamines that were readily available over the counter, those are the first generation antihistamines. They work better than the second generation antihistamines. Mm-hmm. So 
I can't tell you, I have patients in their 70s and 80s that have been on Benadryl since they were knee high to a duck. I sleep better, I'm less itchy. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> so, and, and, um, and Zyrtec, the Zyrtex, um, the Allegra, the Claritin, those are second generation. They don't work as well, right? But they give longer action. So now we have less people operating under the influence of medications. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then again, the, the, when we become so uh, tunnel vision regarding the type of medications that we will use, we're missing the side effects of these medications that were so helpful for people who had these issues before the, the world changed. So I, I think if we can think about what mast cells are supposed to do, right? And then kind of let them know the world is not so dangerous because I, I can tell you like as an allergist, how do I treat allergens that cause you know, sinus disease or asthma? I give it to you, but I give it to you in a shot form when you're relaxed. As relaxed as you can be with me coming at you with a needle. Right. <laughs> so, so, so I, so, so in my opinion, the treatment of mass disorders is to show you, you know, tell the body you're in a safe space. And there's lots of ways you can approach that both pharmacologically and non-pharmacologically, right? Reduce the tissue injury, which you need to do in individuals that are dancers and swimmers, because that's all you do is you keep on pushing yourself to the point that you end up having more injury. So you want to be able to stabilize those joints, for instance. You stabilize the joints, you reduce the susceptibility to that alarm going out, right? So just, just restraining the mast cells with medications. And by the way, you're only restraining one out of the hundreds of chemicals that mast cells release if you take histamine blockers, right? Mm. And by the way, even chromalin and quercetin and luteolin stabilize mast cell degranulation, meaning it's much harder for the mast cells to degranulate. But again, if they're your police officers and your, your Peace Corps cleanup crew, do you really want to completely restrain them, right? And, and, and by the way, mast cells are found in like shellfish. <laughs> so, so, so they have lots of ways to figure out. They're kind of like that main character from 24. I will figure out a way to get around the restraints because they think they're trying to help. So if we can just change our mindset on what are the mast cells supposed to do and how can we let them know that they don't need to do this in this circumstance, mm. you can reinduce tolerance. Just like you can lose tolerance, I'm a believer that you can re-educate the system to restore the tolerance. Mm. That's, that's so interesting. Um, you mentioned the anxiety attack. And I was thinking about how that kind of parallels what you're talking about with mast cells. When someone has an anxiety attack, they're having these feelings that they think their body is having this overcompensatory response for what the stimulation is. And you can't tell someone with an anxiety attack, just stop having those thoughts and feelings. You just acknowledge that they are not 
appropriate for the level that they're being challenged and help them kind of move through that and trying to encourage your mast cells, you are having an inappropriate response to what's going on. Let's help you figure out how to have an appropriate response. Let's figure out how to stabilize it and have a more accurate response. So when we're looking at um, trying to get an MCAS diagnosis, it sounds like it's multifactorial, um, that it's not impossible, but that part of it is uh, a patient um, education, like knowing these things could all be linked together and it's okay to go get help before it's crazy bad. Um, It's a physician education, medical profession education. Um, As you mentioned with the heart attack, that there are protocols that you could go through to try to help find um, the MCAS or the MCAD, but they're not necessarily being looked at. Um, And then it is having that education of what do I do with it? next. Is that fair to say? Because I know we have a lot of, of people that say to us, how do I get a diagnosis? Like, I feel these things. How do I get a diagnosis? Literally. So I, I would, I, I think there are plenty of sources out there. Um, first of all, the Massachusetts Society has a very concise assessment. Um, there are several books out there. Matter of fact, um, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to Amber Walker, who just came out with the uh, trifecta passport, who, you know, a very concise explanation as well. Um, I will, I will also acknowledge um, Diana Jovine, uh, God bless her for, for going up to all of us who were in the lecture circuit, uh, not necessarily the front line of allopathic medicine, but going to a lot of patient organization meetings and saying, this is what we're seeing. Yes, disjointed. Uh, you know, she herded us like cats and got all of us to volunteer our chapters because we were so, we are so overwhelmed. Um, you know, what's going on with, you know, so many people, both children and adults acquire so many things because the longer this goes on, it's like, the longer this goes on, the longer it goes on, but then you start securing other injuries and other organ systems become involved because that stress factor never stands down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stress factor that more chemicals get kicked out, more collateral damage from the chemicals, and it's you know passing forward. And so we we wanted to make efforts to educate the patients because honestly, most patients probably have more knowledge on how to buy a used car than it is to identify a practitioner who can help them. Um, we want to educate our colleagues, especially the primary care, because here's the thing: that's that's your, that's your, you know, supposed to be your guide, not necessarily your gatekeeper, um, who, who steers you. It's like, I, and the first thing that practitioner has to admit, I don't know this, mm. but this is who I think you can go to, who might be able to take that baton and take you a little bit further. Right. And then, and, but, and that's how I started, you know, understand I, you know, I, trained in institutions that all had in-house allergy immunology practitioners. And I didn't learn about mast cells until I met a little boy who I was the 11th allergy immunology specialist that he had met. And he was four. Asthma, anaphylaxis, joint pain, couldn't go to school, sensitive to changes. Whole family was down to like eight foods. 
And, 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 and here's the thing, people have a tendency to focus on what they eat. And I get that. You have more control supposedly over what you eat than the air that you breathe. But you swallow one to two times per minute. You breathe 18 times per minute and your skin is always exposed to the environment. And guess what? All of those organ systems have to weather what's coming in is healthy for you or not. And if they think it's not, and that danger signal goes out, skin, respiratory tract, gastrointestinal tract, brain's gonna take a hit, joints are gonna take a hit, bladder's gonna take a hit, you know, and, 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 and it just goes on and on and on and on until somebody says, and people really decline. You know, they, 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 they use up all their social capital. The practitioners are frustrated and, you know, you know, some frankly get fired from the practice, you know, from practices, which is, you know, and, and here's the thing, I'm not saying I know all of it, but at least I, again, most patients come to my office, I think they'd rather be at a concert, well, before COVID, uh, um, than, than, than having to spend money for doctors and tests mm -hmm. that don't give you any answers. And I have to tell you, this is an old story. You know, it now it's, EDS, POTS, and, and, and MCAD. 10 years ago, it was fibromyalgia. Before that, it was gluten. And then whatever, you know, Francis Peabody talked about regarding the woman who was deemed nothing's the matter with her back in 1927 to the Harvard community, right? Who he says, quote unquote, suffered at the hands of many of a practitioner before she showed up at that Boston hospital. Who then, then said, we have all the scientific advancements and we're gonna figure out what's going on. And lo and behold, all of their testing was normal. And they said, there's nothing wrong with it and kicked her out. That was a hundred years ago. And I'm thinking, what kind of tools did you have a hundred years ago where you could be so arrogant, <laughs> right? And so, so, so it, it, it's education of the patient so that they can be a better consumer because that's exactly what you are in this healthcare system. Education of the practitioners to say, you don't know about this. This is what you need to look for. Like here, asthma, which is a mast cell disorder of the lungs, in my opinion, is common. 10% of the population. 70% of them are undertreated, underdiagnosed, because we don't screen for asthma until you have an attack. So with and typically nobody likes to venture outside of their little corner of the sandbox, right? Pulmonologists don't want to talk about the nose and sinuses, and they certainly don't want to talk about the skin. Dermatologists, ah, you got to go. <laughs> so you, you end up going to all these different practitioners, and nobody's taking a look at the level of the forest, mm. right? And even allergy immunology and hematology oncology, you know, hematology oncology has a tendency to focus on the cancer. I'm like, I'm trying to make sure you don't get there. Right? Allergy immunology is like, ah, the tryptase is normal. I'm like, well, you know, people who have peanut induced anaphylaxis, their tryptase never goes up. So, what does that mean? So, our, our, our testing is insufficient. And, and, and if you've ever collected urine for 24 hours and then had to put it in your refrigerator, which a lot of people are not very happy about, <laughs> <laughs> and then have to take it to, take it to the lab and the person lets it sit on, on the counter and not process it properly. 
we have to come up with, just like we had to come up with a, a rapid test for COVID, we have to come up with a rapid test for mast cell disorders. And it has to be different types of testing. You know, you just can't, just like heart attacks, before we would only look at C, uh, creatinine kinases, but then they added on troponins and then they added on, I mean, you know, so we need to do the same thing for mast cells because here's the thing. One out of two of us has a chronic disorder. It's just a question of how unwell controlled or not it is. Mm. Given the prevalence of insults to our respiratory tract, skin, um, um, and uh, gastrointestinal tract, nearly one out of two of us more than likely has a mast cell disorder. And out of them, by the way, mast cell activation syndrome by definition in many ways is a low grade anaphylaxis. Because you're basically saying, you know, do you have something between just your skin or the respiratory tract or cardiovascular system? And, and, and anaphylaxis, let me, let me just re reiterate this. Anaphylaxis is a grading system, just like earthquakes. You can have a 1.2 where you just have hives or you, or you have a 5.6 where you should have called 911 10 minutes ago. Okay. So people who have mass activation syndrome, essentially, at least two or more organ systems, some have cardiovascular respiratory compromise. So there's ways we need to improve the education of both the uh, primary care and the specialists and the patient population. So they know like, like when you're trying to buy a car, <laughs> what kind of car do I need? Mm -hmm. kind of gas mileage, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, how much do I want to spend for this? I mean, and, and here's the thing, once you get a working diagnosis, first of all, it's a relief because so many people have been told that this is just in their heads, which in my mind and what Francis Peabody called hundred years ago, a medical failure, mm -hmm. you fail to pursue the truth. So, so I think most people are just relieved that they come into my office and I say to them, yes. And by the way, you know, you're sitting in a W. I'm like, really? I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> and do you ever get lightheaded when you stand up? And the people ask me, they're looking at me like, wait a minute, you're an allergist? And I'm like, yeah, I, I need to ask you this. And I got the same look when I presented a similar abstract at the American Academy of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology back in 2013, they're like, fellow allergists, you're telling me you have to bend people to figure out whether or not their mast cells are misbehaving. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Wow. That is so much fabulous information and so much to, to unpack. One of the things to me that is so challenging is for people to understand the relationship between hypermobility and connective tissue disorders, because obviously those are not the same, but they're related. And then understanding the relationship between those and mast cell and mast cell and pain, um, because we know that mast cell activation or mast cell disorders are also related to painful um, syndromes and can contribute to pain. Can you explain a little bit about that? So mast cells were originally identified not in humans, but in tadpoles in the 1860s. Then, um, then um, Paul Ehrlich, who was one of the founding fathers of immunohistochemistry, but also one of the considered one of the founding fathers for translational medicine, 
He's the one who identified mast cells in every part of the connective tissue in human beings, right? And so if you then, then you, if you were to stay in the connective tissue for mast cells, like we do for people, we're trying to see whether or not they have a clonal mast cell disorder, like mass, systemic mastocytosis or monoclonal mast cell activation syndrome, which is a lot of terms to say, are your mast cells misbehaving because there's something broken within some of them, as opposed to what most people have is what I consider non-clonal or secondary mast cell activation syndrome, meaning mast cells are being good police officers and repair persons, they're just getting bad orders. So basically, if you were to stain, just like they stain for small fiber neuropathy and they do a special stain to look at the nerves, if you were to do a special stain for mast cells, and by the way, <clears throat> and this is what's really important, Mast cells are tissue-based. They're less than a thousand circulating in the blood for you to pick it up, right? So you really want, if you're gonna, and just like somebody's having a heart, heart problem, you wanna look at the heart. I mean, the blood can give some good collateral information, but you really wanna look at where the problem is. So if you were to take a piece of skin or a piece of gut, like they normally do when they do an endoscopy or colonoscopy and stain for mast cells and stain for nerves, you'll find that they sit right next to each other embedded in the connective tissue, right? And so if the job of the mast cell and the nerves are to act as early warning system and early response teams, there's where that trifecta, that triad that I'm talking about, you have the epithelial barrier. So an, an average adult has 75 square feet of territory that's always exposed to the environment. Whether you're talking the air with the skin, what you swallow with the 25 feet of gastrointestinal tract with from the tip of your nose to the base of your lungs and the urogenital tract. And they all have different, it's all different connective tissue epithelial lining, but it is connective tissue. Right below the surface area, you have the mast cells and the nerves. And guess what they do? They talk all the time. They're like SEAL Team 6. <laughs> <laughs> So, 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 and that's what you want because that epithelial lining has to deal with within, within just, you know, a centimeter or so has to deal with 10 times the amount of foreign entities than you have cells in your body. Talk about having gorillas at the gate, mm. right? And so, and here's the thing, what do, what do our bodies need to do? We need to bring in oxygen, we need to bring in nutrients and we need to get rid of the waste products which means we have ports of entry and exit. Who do you think is guarding that? Mm -hmm. And who do you think is supposed to respond if somebody's trying to get in when they shouldn't? So this is a very old theory. And, um, and I have to say, I was first introduced to this by Polly Maxinger, who has a wonderful story that I would recommend reading in the New York Times. So, and I first met her when I was a lab technician, remember I worked for a few years before going off to, to, to that combined degree program because I'm like, what exactly does a graduate student do? Um, and she gave a lecture back in 1987 talking about the danger theory. And because at that point in time, one of the major tenets of, of, of trying to understand how the immune system turns on and turns off was tolerance. And she said, you know, and, and the argument there was, well, we're just born with all the cells that recognize us, right? 
So the, those cells and those proteins won't attack us. They'll only go after what's not us. But then how do you explain pregnancy? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, how do you explain going in, into a new country and trying a new food? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so, so she's like, it is tissue injury that tells the immune system and the nervous system something's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and 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 what was into why she piqued my interest was one of the papers that she wrote. The 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 lead author was her dog. <laughs> so and 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 her her and talk about her beginnings. So she she was a waitress at a diner that was next to Scripps in California. And she was listening to the scientists talk and she asked a really good question. They're like, you need to go to graduate school. <laughs> wow. And now where is she? She's at the National Institute of Health. Mm. That's awesome. Right? So, so, you know, sometimes you need to be from the outside. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, a lot of people with bendy bodies are on the outside of healthcare looking in. Mm -hmm. But in, as a group, we're going to be able to change things, mm -hmm. right? We have to change how we think about things. We have to change about how we're dealing with our environment and appreciate that our environment, whether we want to admit to it or not, has completely changed mm -hmm. in less than a generation. Whether you're talking climate change, whether you're talking about access to food sources, whether you want to talk about the fact that we spend more than 90% of our time inside of something, building, car, mall, all manufactured. Mm -hmm. So the air we breathe, the stuff, and by the way, even clothing, think about it. What was the seventies? That was the polyester age. And polyester <laughs> back then was really irritating. So they worked really hard to come up with better fibers, but think about it, how our food was, you know, produced and stored, how the clothing that we wear back then, ivory soap was 99 and 4,400 pure. Now you need a chemistry degree to understand what's in it. So, so, so we, we are being inundated with substances our body has never seen. Some mm -hmm. of them that actually cause direct injury. Like we have more microparticle plastic in our lungs, right? Nowadays, what do you think that stuff is doing? You know, it's crazy. It's, it, it's causing micro injury. And here's the thing about mast cells. They're, they're really unnerved. They're kind of like um, ninjas. I mean, you got to light them up to see them. <laughs> and, and, and Linda, you remember that you remember the term because you try to identify people that have like pain syndromes out of proportion to exam, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So going back to that little boy that I told you about, listening to their story, and here's the thing: I had more than seven minutes to listen to their story. Right. And listening, he came out rashy. God bless the family. They have a pediatrician, old school. He says, look, I don't know what you got, but I want you to keep breastfeeding and I want you to limit your diet and try to stay in a wholesome environment. And he was fine for a year. Mm. Pediatrician retires. Mm. The kid on the block comes in. Why isn't your kid on milk? And he has to get four vaccinations at once. Mm -hmm. Regress completely. Kind of like Jesus walked in and then Jesus walked out. <laughs> and and they had three years of him having anaphylaxis, asthma, gastrointestinal distress. He he saw he saw at least 
27 and 28 providers before he came to my office. And the only reason he came to my office is because I had taken care of a patient that has systemic mastocytosis and he heard, his mother had heard something about connective tissue disorders and mastocytosis. And so, um, and I attended one of the three programs in the country that study mast cells. Mm. Wow. That's the only reason that I met them. And I just looked at them and I'm like, you look really long <laughs> and <laughs> sitting a certain way. Uh, each, and she's like, yeah, I think we have Ehlers-Danlos. And at the time it was classic, it was type mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and so of course I had to go to the, I had to go to the computer, you know, my, my, my reference point, Dr. Google, mm-hmm. and ask, okay, is there anything out there regarding mast cells? Because that's what I was thinking of. I only know two systems that can cause that type of reaction like that. And that would be nerves and mast cells, mm-hmm. right? So as an allergy immunology specialist, I, don't, I know a little bit about nerves, but I do know that there are plenty of non-immune uh, mediated physical triggers. Think about hives. You have cold induced hives, you have vibration induced hives, you have solar induced hives, you have dermatographism, which is pressure. All these things that are nerve mast cell related causing swelling and itch and hot. Mm-hmm. We also know the same thing for asthma. You have cold-induced asthma, humidity-induced asthma. You have all these non, non-immunologic triggers that cause problems in the skin and the gut and the respiratory tract. That and, and I still remember the first patient that came to me with interstitial cystitis saying, I have food allergies. I'm like, that doesn't, uh, I'll test mm-hmm. you, but that doesn't sound right. Um, and again, this is not about allergens, it's not me mm-hmm. finding a mugshot of IgE that recognizes oranges. It's a chemical issue. When your body is stressed, ain't gonna like the chemical mm-hmm. or ain't gonna like the temperature or ain't gonna mm-hmm. like the humidity. So mast cells and nerves talk to each other all the time in the epithelial layer the connective tissue that is exposed to the environment that's trying to figure out what's coming in. Should you be there or not? Mm-hmm. Is this the right temperature or not? Is this the amount, right amount of water or not? You know, so, so it is all about how we are navigating our step-by-step journey in the environment that we're in. It sounds like it's education all around, which I feel like is a huge topic for us everywhere, but it's not just educating physicians, educating the, the patient, um, and also educating the body, re-educating the mast cells to respond yep. appropriately, re-educating the body to support itself. Um, so just education is key all around. So this, true. this podcast it's has true. been horribly educational for me, horribly in a good way, uh, hugely <laughs> educational for me and helpful. Thank you. <laughs> but, but if you, so, so, my private practice has now folded into a group called Clinical Paradigms, where we have a, a it's kind of hard to call Dr. Pisano a nutritionist. She has a PhD in nutritional genomics. So if I, you know, I have to tap out after the Krebs cycle, right? <laughs> and then, but she, she has the resources. So she has a, a wonderful person who's a Pilates instructor. 
uh, named Sabrina Foss. And then she has a wonderful woman who helps with addressing the, the emotional and health burden that, that, you know, trying to tease out all that has happened along the journey that has put up mental um, defense mechanisms to having insults happen to you, right? And then she also has um, you know, basically um, uh, uh, nurse uh, nutrition uh, specialists who coach you along the way. Um, and so if we can get the body to, to operate more efficiently, if we can reduce the mast cells and the nerves down to a basal level of activity saying, you know, the temperature shouldn't be a problem or me putting my hand out here shouldn't be such a stress. Mm -hmm. um, addressing the cervical spine. Honestly, mm -hmm. there's a lot of structures that go through here. And if you don't, if this is a problem, right? then you have people who have swallowing difficulties. And which leads me to the third person, uh, Dr. Isabel Brock, who brings her experience of, of the French treatment of EDS and comorbid disorders, because she practiced there for six or seven years and now is here in the US. And we all talk to each other, just like you have cancer teams and heart failure teams. We now have an EDS, mast cell, you know, um, neuro, neuro combination going. So, so, so it, I, I, and I tell people, you know, both children, their caregivers and patients, you're like a Maserati trying to drive on the streets of New York city. Right. And you hit one pothole and that's like a $15,000 repair. <laughs> and then you're going to try Great to analogy. take it and, and, and then, and now you're going to take it to a GM dealer. I'm not trying to knock GM dealers, but you, you, your body is an exquisite biological machine and individuals that have undiagnosed connective tissue issues, immune dysfunction and neurological dysfunction, you keep on pushing it and you, you end up with increased wear and tear mm -hmm. and pay that price, mm -hmm. both in your mental and physical health, which are tightly hooked. Mm -hmm. So it's still a learning journey for me because I will reach out to them. I'll reach out to Dr. Ruhoy. I'll reach out to Dr. Bolognese because we're all looking with a different set of eyes, right? Mm -hmm. we, have to, we have to step outside of our area of expertise mm -hmm. to understand the interconnectedness between the mast cells, the nerves and the connective tissue. I agree. And we are all about teamwork here. We love having... Um... A variety of people that can that can pour in from different points of view. That's why um, we're so grateful to you for coming in and sharing your expertise on this. Uh, for people who want to learn more, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find you out in the internet world? Um, so <clears throat> I think um, the easiest access is either clinicalparadigms.com okay. or the uh, Center for Chiari EDS MCAD at Mount Sinai South Nassau in New York. Okay, we will have those in our 
clinic in our notes for you so that you can find those there. Um, we are so grateful, Dr. Maitland, for you coming on and having this conversation with us. Uh, you've been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, and we've been speaking with Dr. Ann Maitland, MD, PhD, Chair of the Allergy and Immunology Working Group for the International Consortium on EDS and HSD. Dr. Maitland, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Bendy Bodies podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. And we are so grateful for the wisdom that you have shared with us today. No, I appreciate your, and and next time, Mm -hmm. I hope to hear more about the experiences that that you've been been on this journey, because all of us are are talking from each side of the bed rail or bedpan, as you see, but I wish you. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. These, these, these groups of conditions are so humbling. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just every day it's you, you realize how much you have yet to learn and but how much we already know and how much we can do for people. So it's and, really and, and give your give, your, you know, be kind to yourself, really, mm-hmm. you know, be kind to yourself, you know, start there first. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, don't give up hope there. There, there are more people that are are working together. And on all different types of levels, and in many ways, you know what you're doing now is acting as a beacon for other, lighting the way for for people who just don't have those resources. So, I, I appreciate all that you're doing, and, and again, thank you for this wonderful invitation to come. Absolutely, thank you, and thank you everybody for tuning in today. Bye. Bye. Salud. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, where we explore the intersection of health and hypermobility for dancers and other aesthetic athletes. If you found this information valuable, please share it with a colleague or friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Remember to subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at bendy underscore bodies and our website is www.bendybodies.org. If you want to follow Bendy Bodies founder and co-host Dr. Bluestein on Instagram, it's at hypermobilitymd, all one word, and her website is www.hypermobilitymd.com. If you want to follow co-host Jennifer Milner on Instagram, it's at jennifer.milner, M-I-L-N-E-R, and her website is www.jennifer-milner.com. Thank you for helping us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. We want to hear from you. Please email us at info at bendybodies.org to share feedback. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the co-host and their guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. The thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice and should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease as this information is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We'll catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast. Bye.